So, if you were here in January and happen to remember, I did a teaching, just a one shot, um, while Rick was uh, recovering from a surgery. I taught on discipleship, and we're gonna pick up where I left off. Um, Hebrews 3 is the chapter that we're gonna be in. However, Hebrews 3 really doesn't kick in until the second half of today. So, let's see here. Um, Matthew 5 is where we're gonna pick up. I'm gonna give you guys kind of a heads up. We're gonna actually look at a number of passages before we get to Hebrews. Um, John chapter 6. And Acts chapter four, don't worry, I'll repeat these again. Matthew 28, Romans 13, that's right. We're going through the scriptures. And John 12, we'll be in John twice. Discipleship 101, the ears of an apprentice. So like I said already, I started this kind of series on discipleship. Um, It's near and dear to my heart. But in that last teaching, I posed four questions, and we only got to two. Fortunately, today, we're gonna get to one more. So, and that question is, who makes disciples? The first two questions I asked, what is a disciple? And people have written scores on that, books just answering that question. What is a disciple? The other one was, why make disciples? And I'd like to refresh us on that. I'd like to take a recap on that. But I wanna say this again like I did in January. I am in no way trying to fully explain discipleship in its entirety today. It is impossible. And anyone who would tell you otherwise probably doesn't understand. This is why. Discipleship is a lifelong process. So today, you know, it's more like an 80s band, one hit wonder. Lord willing, you will get something out of this as I have, and I pray that I continue to feast on the very word that's coming out of my mouth. But we have to remember, Jesus spent over three years living with and training his 12 apostles. Three and a half years. He didn't sum up discipleship in one bonfire eating fish, okay? He didn't sum it up in one teaching on a mount. Three and a half years. And still, they had only just begun to understand what this truly meant to be a disciple of Jesus. So, He would teach them and reiterate things over and over. For example, you go through the Gospels, how many times does Jesus tell his 12 about his betrayal, his suffering, and his death, and his inevitable resurrection? He does it more than once. And every time he tells it, he expounds a little more, and he says it with a new nuance. So, my point is, there's no single teaching on discipleship that Jesus hinged his whole ministry on. And so I'm not gonna attempt to try to do better than Jesus. In John 20, 12, Jesus says this, near the end of his ministry, to his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He had more to teach them before he left earth, but they weren't ready. They couldn't take it. They didn't have the capacity for it. So what happened to his apprenticing apostles after he left? How did these guys continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus if Jesus isn't present? Did Jesus leave them hanging out to dry with the Galilean fish? No. How were his disciples then able to continue 
in his footsteps after he was gone. We're gonna look at that in uh, more depth this morning, but first, the refresher. So if you're not there, turn with me to Matthew 5, 1. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We're just looking at one verse here. The question I asked last time was, what is a disciple? Matthew 5, 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Disciples, the word disciple, first time it shows up here. If you look up the word disciple in its original language, it literally translates learner, pupil, follower. But I don't know about you, that doesn't really help me understand exactly what it means to follow Jesus because, let me demonstrate. What comes to mind when you hear the word pupil? Student. When you think student, in our cultural context, what do we imagine? Classroom, youth, young people are students. Well, so we're already, without knowing it or not, with it, either knowing it or not, we're already going down a road that, start, you know, there's a degree of separation already. We think you're in a classroom and students, well, that's young people. Well, that, you know, pretty much excludes the rest of us unless you're going through a doctoral program or you're going back to college later in life. Student doesn't really sum this up. What comes to mind when you hear the word follower? That word is changing in its meaning today. I see some folks here who were young, high school, young adults. When you hear the word follower, what comes to mind? The world's culture is shaping our understanding more and more through social media's influencers. They're influencers, and we follow them. What does it mean to follow? Today's so-called followers are really more like subscribers. That's different than the disciple definition we see throughout scripture and what Jesus challenges his believers to. He doesn't call us to a subscription and he doesn't call us to a classroom. True disciples of Jesus are different. They're not subscribers. When Jesus does or says something that challenges his disciples' thoughts or their feelings, they don't unsubscribe. They don't unfollow Jesus. They seek to align to him, not cancel him outright. Subscribers give their attention, even money, to someone they admire, seek to learn from, or even emulate for a time. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of us in social media have followed someone, there's that word again, for a time, and then we either lose interest or they say something we just disagree with. That's a subscriber. We often lose interest, disagree with either the influencer, the guru, the philosopher over time. It doesn't last forever. Have you ever struggled with something the Lord did or maybe is doing right now in your life? If you're a disciple of Jesus, I urge you to not give up. Don't give up. Think, what would have happened if Job had given up? What would have happened if Moses had thrown down the rod? What would have happened if Elijah would have thrown in the towel? Or Esther, when her uncle came to her, challenging her like, you have been made, you've been appointed for such a time as this, and she went, I'm out, I'm leaving. What would have happened? What would have happened to Israel? What would have happened to the church? What would have happened if Jesus the week before his crucifixion went, 
Father, your will, not mine, but um, can we do this a different way? And never went to the cross. Make no mistake, I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir here. I look at faces and people I know. You all have gone through challenges, hard, trying times. Being a disciple isn't a cakewalk. So why do it if it's so hard? Why do it if Jesus might call you to do something that could require everything? Jesus went to the cross in his obedience to the Father. Think about the people throughout church history who have given, paid the ultimate price because they were going to be devoted in their discipleship to Jesus. I urge you not to give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. We're gonna turn over now to John chapter six, verse 47. John 6, 47. Jesus is already stirring the pot here at this point in John's gospel. Here in John chapter six, verse 47, we read, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. His language already is blasphemous to the kosher understanding of the Jewish way of life. Did he just call, one, he's making some pretty profound divine declarations here. What is he insinuating? And, and even after that, now he says to have life, we have to eat his flesh. Is that really what he's saying? Look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the Father ate not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is just beating a dead horse. So if you're listening to me like, Jake, you're on repeat. I'm just learning from the way of the master. So don't blame me. He does it. Oh, how many times have we seen Jesus say, eat, eat my flesh, my flesh, drink my blood. He says it over and over. In case there was any misunderstanding or someone misheard me, let me say it again. And he says here, Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Literally, is this scandalous to your hearing? 
What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So in case you didn't know, if you're listening to this, usually when people say Jesus' disciples, they think the 12. They were disciples, but Jesus at this point had a huge group of people following him. But when he said this, when they heard what came out of his mouth, a lot of them went, we can't go any further. They were fair weather followers. They were subscribers. They were like, unfollow, cancel. And a lot of these folks ended up being Jesus's enemies. They couldn't bear what he had to say. They couldn't listen to his heart. They couldn't understand him. They didn't see him for who he was. They didn't care to know his heart. They listened by leaning to their own understanding instead of acknowledging God. The manna, all these things we see in the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Testament, all of them were to point forward to Jesus. You've heard that verse. Rick has said it over and over and over and over in the years. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures thinking they give you eternal life. But it's these that testify of me. Les said it on Wednesday. We have to be careful not to worship this. This is not Jesus. If someone tore the pages out of my Bible, did horrible things to it, and then completely destroyed it, it wouldn't change my Jesus. And it wouldn't change my faith because my faith is not in a book. He's given us the words, but the words were spoken under the inspiration of the Spirit. Are we listening to his voice, and do we hear his heart? If we're not, if we don't, if we refuse to, this is just ink on pages. This is dead, it's worthless. Are we listening to his heart? Jesus declared some shocking truths, and he said things that challenged the thoughts, the traditions, and the feelings of many who were following him. He's not saying this to his opponents. He's saying this to the people who liked him. So I wanna start with, I have a number of points here, but a number of the points are really questions for us to ponder and consider. Because again, I pray you don't leave out of here. I've done this, right? You hear the pastor teach, you leave an hour later. Hey, what'd they talk about? Hang on a second. I've been there, I've done it. For me, one of the things that helps me remember what was taught is to ask questions. And if you get to know the Hebrew culture, it was all about questions, ask questions. You know what's interesting too? Because we love God's word here at the bridge. The one thing we see in scripture, the apostles, soon to be the apostles, asked Jesus, wasn't teach us how to study the Bible. It was teach us how to pray. Teach us how to talk with God the Father, which also requires listening. There's a lot behind that. So here's the first point, really our first question. Are you a student, subscriber, 
or disciple of Jesus? Are you a student, subscriber, or disciple of Jesus? Jesus made some pretty dreadful promises about these subscribers and fair-weather followers. Here in Matthew 7, 22, he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Every time I read that, I go, ah, oh, that's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not doubts, but let's be honest with our hearts before his. It's a sobering thing. I had a really encouraging conversation with a young man Wednesday night. He's not here, so I can say a little bit. Um, I'll tell you his first name. It's Trevor. It's not that Trevor. Trevor won't forget him, though. Trevor is his name. Please keep him lifted up in your prayers. He gave his life to Jesus on Wednesday night after the teaching. Young man, I think he's 19, had so many good questions. He came and he's been coming hungry and listening. It was really encouraging to hear. It's refreshing to hear. But while we were talking, he asked me to explain what the word Lord means. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're growing up in the church, or you've been a Christian for many years, but you've never thought, what does the word Lord mean? There's so many simple, basic things we just gloss over, especially for those of us who've grown up in the church, and we don't really stop to consider and ask what we would think maybe are childish questions. Oh, I know what Lord means. Okay, you can translate it to another word, but what does it mean to you? So I was explaining this to him. To call Jesus Lord is to call him master. Master. I remember that every time I think of master, I think of Russell Crowe, Master and Commander, that movie I think it came out in 2007. Master and Commander. When I think Lord, I think Master and Commander. Jesus is my Savior, but is he my Lord? He can't be your Savior if he's not your Lord. And if he's your Lord, does he command your life? Or, again, am I, are you, are we just subscribers? Jesus asks in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? What I say. Not what I write, he said, what I say. What comes out of my mouth? Why do you call me Lord, but don't obey me? Jesus said in John 14, 16, I don't think it's up there. If you love me, obey my commandments. And also, as an aside to that, I shared this with the students. This was an epiphany to me. I don't know why. Again, it's a simple thing. When I say it, you'll go, oh, yeah, of course. But to me, it was like, huh. Why does God give us commands? It's not for his ego. He doesn't tell us how to live because he wants to control our lives. He gives us rules to follow and live by because they're good for us. And if we deviate out of those, it's bad for us. Cam and I don't raise Judah and Ezra giving them rules to control them, to make their life unpleasant. It's for their benefit. Don't run out in the street. Look both ways. Eat your vegetables. Brush your teeth. Daily things. How many daily things does Jesus give us on a daily basis that we don't listen to and we don't heed? And we go a long time not listening to what his spirit is saying to ours. And then we wonder, 
why is my life so hard? And then, you know, like a child, we shake our fists. God, why are you doing this to me? It's like, you ran out in the middle of the street. God, my mouth hurts. Why have you done this to me? You haven't been brushing your teeth. Why, why aren't you taking what I'm saying? It's so simple. But again, reflecting on what my dad taught me growing up. If you know it and it's so simple, why aren't you doing it? Blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. So, if a disciple is more than a student, more than a subscriber, more than a follower, then what does it mean to be a disciple? Mark 1.17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left their old life to pursue a new one. When you make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, you lose, you, you give up, you surrender, you leave the old self, you leave your old ways. How many of us, though, I'm gonna raise my hand, how many of us follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then there are things that I do and think that are the old Jake? The, the old is gone and dead. We live forward to a new life in the risen Lord, the master and commander of heaven and earth, Jesus the Christ. Jesus doesn't say, come to the synagogue once or twice a week and I'll teach you. He says, come and follow me. Here's the next point. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. I think that is probably the most fitting word for us when we try to define what is a disciple. At least that's the most fitting word I've come to at this point, an apprentice. And I talked about it back in January. Electricians, they do have classes that they go to. There is time and it's necessary to receive in-classroom instruction. And we see Jesus take the boys to school, as it were. But it wasn't just in the synagogue. He lived with them. And that's the other thing. They, they, I'm sorry, they lived with him. He said, come and follow me. How many of us have said to some, or we've said of ourselves, Jesus, come and be a part of my life? He didn't die on the cross to become part of my life. He died on the cross so I could become part of his. Because apart from Jesus, I can do nothing, John 15. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If I believe it, do my daily habits, do my lifestyle, does my lifestyle, my choices and decisions, do the things I value in life match what I profess to believe? Again, really simple things, but they're profound in the implication. So again, you can find more on this from our website, podcast, you can look up what I taught back in January. But the bottom line is, if you're in this sanctuary this morning and you claim to be a Christian, you signed your name to the apprenticeship. Just like you put your name, you know, they, they take a whole list of names and you're on the waiting list to become an electrician. You put your name, you're ready, you're eager. And when, you know, a tradesman picks up your name, you're involved, you're all in. You're either all in or you're not. You won't last long if you're not. If you were born again last night or decades ago, you are his apprentice. So answering the question, what is a, di a disciple? A disciple is an apprentice. Now look over with me to Acts chapter four. Acts four. I'll take a drink while you turn there. And again, we're still just in the recap. 
Acts chapter four, verse one. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. That's Peter and John. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <gasps> Gasp. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Real quick, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come your way. A lot of us, and I was thinking about this last night, oh, I'm so glad in so many ways COVID-19 is behind us. Has Jesus come back yet? Don't get too comfortable is what I'm saying. And I have to be careful not to get complacent. We're still in a fallen world and Jesus is not the king of this earth yet on the throne from Jerusalem. When he does, awesome. Actually, before that, when he calls us up, great. But until then, you and I are aliens in this place. Our values, our way of life, how we think and talk, and more and more how we dress. I've done student ministry for 12 years. It should be different. And when people are different, the rest of the world doesn't like it. It's okay to be different. Get used to different. That said, he goes on and says, verse four, but many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. You can just hear the, the smugness filling the room. Collars are getting stiff, you know, ties are coming on. When they had placed them in the center, they put Peter and John in the center, they began to inquire. By what power or in what name have you done this? That was the same question they asked Jesus. What authority do you say these things? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I'll just keep reading. If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What set them apart? These guys were with Jesus. Peter and John were not dim-witted fools, but they were the Galilean equivalents to American rednecks, blue-collar workers. They didn't have formal education. They didn't have training. Matter of fact, their trade, as we know, if you look through history, being a fisherman was probably one of the lowest jobs. But these guys were different. What made them different? It wasn't the seminary they went to. It wasn't the college they went to. It was the person that they spent time with, Jesus. Even though these 
Galilean rednecks had no formal education. They spoke with boldness and supernatural wisdom. If you continue to read the story, you see these hoity-toity, smug, self-righteous, highly educated and articulate men, dumbfounded, and their mouths are shut. They have nothing else to say except, stop it. Well, you do you, do you boo. You do whatever you gotta do, we'll do what we gotta do. So if you gotta throw us in chains, then okay, I'm not gonna come protesting. But that means I'm gonna be preaching to all the guys in the prison cell too. So don't be surprised when they come to Jesus. Here's the next point. Are you a Jesus apprentice or a church attender? Or a church goer? A Jesus apprentice or a church attender? I'm gonna follow that up with two questions. What's the difference? What does it mean to be an apprentice? Jesus answers it this way in Luke 6.40. A pupil is not above his instructor, teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what the word Christian means, little Christs. It was a derogatory name. And I know I'm saying this to a crowd of people, Bible students, who already know these things. But I wanna ask us another question. So we know these things to be true, but who or what has the greatest influence on your life? What do you spend time meditating on, thinking about, fantasizing, dwelling on, spending energy and resource on? I heard a pastor out of Portland, it's good to know there's some good pastors coming out of Portland, who said this, we're all disciples. The question is who or what is discipling you? Who or what is actually training you? Here's a second question, why make disciples? And we're gonna go through this a lot quicker. Turn over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus asserts right there, Buddha didn't, Muhammad didn't, Jesus does. He makes the claim, I have all the authority. I have absolute power. <laughs> he has it all. Not the Jedi Knights, Jesus. And so in this authority, he says, he gives a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that last part. If you get intimidated, you feel inadequate, ill-equipped, unsophisticated, naive, remember this, he is with you always to the very end. That chokes me up just thinking about it. How could, but that, that, that begs the question, how could Jesus be with me if he's not right here with me? You Bible students know where I'm going with that. Again, it's an obvious reality, but do we live in that reality obviously every day? That said, I'll keep it short. Why make disciples? First, 
but less importantly, Jesus commanded it. If he is the Lord and Savior of my life, he says it, I do it. If you identify as one of his apprentices, he's given you a charge to make disciples in his name, to immerse them, these new disciples, in God, in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. Cam brought this up to me a long time ago. Thought it was really wise. It is really wise. He doesn't say in the names. He says the name. One name. Three persons, one being. That's why we're not supposed to make an image that represents God, because there's nothing created that can represent who he is. What else is like his nature? That being said, he says, make disciples in the name, immerse them in the name, and teach them to practice all that I've taught you. So here's a practical question. If you're here this morning and you have spent time with Jesus, what's he been teaching you? What has he told you this week? You have something to give. Be encouraged by that. I don't have much. Neither did, neither did the boy with the fish and the loaves. What do we do to feed all these people? Get this young man over here. I'll take that, which is ironic because who made the fish and the bread in the first place? God. And then God takes what he's blessed this boy with, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he feeds thousands. So Jake doesn't have an excuse. I don't have much. Okay, so bring it to me, and I'll multiply it. The dependence is on the Lord. So why do we make disciples first and foremost? He commanded it. He didn't say if you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, if you're a theologian, or you're a practiced and seasoned Christian, make disciples. If you are one, go make some. That's what he said. Yeah, but I've only known Jesus for a day. You've got, you've got more than someone who doesn't know Jesus, so give that. Yeah, but it's just a couple fish and loaves. Do we need to be reminded again? If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, this is a non-negotiable. It's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. It's a command. Last question before I move to the second point of why make disciples. Who has the Lord placed in your life to help them in their walk with Jesus? And that's another very important thing. Jesus didn't say, Jake, be a student of mine for a number of years. And then when you're adequate, you have lots of Bible verses memorized, then go teach others how to be like you. Jesus didn't command me to go make other little Jakes. Ooh, can you imagine that, Cam? One is enough. Go make other followers of Jesus. Not of Rick, not of Les, not of Brandy, not of place and name, not of Jack Hibbs, not of Priscilla Shire. We're not supposed to follow them. Why? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're not supposed to become little fill in the blank. We're supposed to become Christians, disciples of Christ, baptized into his name. So whatever you have, you've got something. Use it, and Jesus will multiply it. But here's the second, and I would argue, hands down, the most important reason, the most important reason we make disciples. Because you love him. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
I think I said 14, 16 earlier. It's verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Les taught it this past Wednesday out of Galatians 5, 6. Faith works by and through love. I'm not up here on this stage. I'm not where I'm at in life, honestly. As God is my witness, I'm not here because this was my goal. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never did. Never did. We look at the work that God did through Jonah. All of the Ninevites who were wicked people, that's awesome. Jonah never wanted to go to Nineveh. Now, I'm not implying you're Ninevites and I'm Jonah, okay? And I don't want to get swallowed by a giant fish. That terrifies me. However, what motivates you in your walk with Jesus? If it's not love, we're missing the point. That's the next point here. Disciples aren't driven by duty, they're led by love. Jesus is the shepherd, he's not the dictator. But are you that sheep that keeps you know, kicking against the goads? How many of us have seen reels on social media? Sheep that you know, are running away from the shepherd and they jump and then they go into a ditch. Shepherd comes over and pulls them out and they're covered in mud and they can't wait to run away and they bounce and then they go back into the ditch. I love Jesus because he loves me. I want to obey him because he's given his life to me. Why wouldn't I want to? He's given everything. There's a vast difference between a faithful friend and an obligated slave. And I say this to myself first before I put it out to anyone else here. If your work for Jesus is based out of obligation or even worse, out of pride to prove yourself a spiritual person, you are missing it. Jesus doesn't need Jake. I'm not wise. Now, I know you all know that. I'm a simple guy. Why do I do what I do? If it's not because I love him, then just, you know, take a break, Jake. Sit down on the side. You need to just spend some more time with the Savior before you go out and try and do his good work on your own best efforts. It's by grace we've been saved. It's by grace we continue being saved. And it's by his good grace that we can do what we can for his name according to his spirit. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Corinthians 13 just comes to mind. If I, know, if I have all knowledge and know all mysteries but do not have love, I am a noisy gong. My life is worthless. If you pride yourself in, the, in how many and how well you know the doctrines of the Bible, and that's it, you're, you're no different than a Pharisee. We cannot get hung up on this. Keep it simple. That's what is so amazing about Jesus. He speaks these profound truths in such simple ways because we, whether we would like to admit it or not, are simple people. And he knows that, and he doesn't look at Jake and condescend and patronize me. He comes down to my level and speaks to me in a way that I get it. I love that about him. Now, aside from one, the disciples stayed with Jesus because they loved him. They loved him. Why did they love him? Because he loved them first. He gave them value. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you struggle with insecurities over whatever it is, I don't know, 
Know this, there's a God in heaven who knit you in your mother's womb, who loves you with an undying love, who gave up his life for you because you are worthy to be his son, his daughter. Receive his value because he loves you. He's the God of heaven and earth. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It matters what he says. Are you listening to his heart? 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. John 15, 9, just as the Father, Jesus says, has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Now we turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. And here's the third question we're gonna look at. Who makes disciples? I've kind of already addressed that, but who? Who makes disciples? There's a lot packed in here in chapter three. And we're actually not gonna do this intense dive into it. We don't even have the time for it anyway. But read the first three verses with me. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. I love the fact that Jim Crouch took us into Hebrews 2. I didn't know where he was going with communion today, and he, take us, he takes us to Hebrews 2. <laughs> and now I'm in Hebrews 3. I think the Lord is speaking to us this morning. So there's a lot of things in chapter, in just the first three verses we could unpack. But how does chapter three start? Look at the first line. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly what? Calling. Not a holy Bible. Not a holy denomination. A holy calling. That word is actually the root word that describes the church. Literally, if you're a Christian, this is your identity. Kaleo. That word is a Greek word, kaleo. Church is a compound word in Greek. Ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, meaning called. Called out of. Called out of. Called out of. I'm emphasizing it because there's verbal. There's an auditory sense to this. It's not just, I have been appointed. Called. There's a reason the translators translated it as called. Yes, appointed, but you don't appoint someone out of. You call someone out of. We've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. That is this present darkness in this world. And transferred into the kingdom of his marvelous light. How? He called you by name. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, it's because you heard him. The church isn't an organization. It's not an institution. And it's certainly not a building. The church is people who've been called out of this world to join and follow Jesus. Colossians 1.13. Even our identifying name as a people, church, revolves around hearing. Abraham didn't have a Bible to follow God. He had to hear God. Think about all these people. The apostles, 
They had the Old Testament and then Jesus expounded on it. How did they come to the knowledge and wisdom they, they got? They had to listen, they had to hear. And it's so fascinating to me that you can see all the scores of people that Jesus said the same thing to and yet you ask any given person, they hear something differently. Hearing is incredibly important as we're going to see. But again, this all begs a question. How are we called in the first place? Go to Romans 13 now. Romans 13. How are we called? Starting at verse 10. I'm sorry, Romans 10, 13. Did I say Romans 13? <laughs> I'm glad you heard that. Okay, Romans 10, 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, not whoever reads the Bible. Now, I, don't, I do not dismiss this. This is incredibly important for us. But people don't come to believe because they read the right words or because they pray the right prayer. It says here, how? Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news because Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There are, man, there's so many times I have heard God's word, but I had to hear it over and over until I finally actually heard it. How many of you have heard the same thing over and over and then one day you're like, oh, I get it because you finally heard it, listening. The concept of hearing is so central in Judaism for a reason. Lord willing, we may, be, we may look at that very passage next week, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Hear, listen, heed, understand. Right before this, right before he, uh, Romans 10, 13, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 30, 12, and he says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven and who will descend into the abyss? This stood out to me. Why is he in verse 13? Because of what he said earlier. And when I read what he said earlier, immediately I was reminded of what we heard last Sunday. Rick took us through 1 Samuel 6, verse 20. The men of Beth Shemesh realized they couldn't come close to God because his holiness was too great. We don't understand God's holiness. If you've ever wondered, what is holiness? What is, what is so, why does the Bible, or why do Christians, why do Christian songs talk about God's holiness? Volcanologists study volcanoes. But volcanologists have to get somewhat personal up and close to volcanoes in order to study them. But you cannot go into the mouth of a volcano dressed in plain clothes, why? It'll eat you up, it'll burn you alive. You have to put on special clothing to get close to that kind of intensity. Not to mention, 
things are flying out of the air. Like you take your hand, your life into your own hands. Debris will be shot anywhere from 20 to 100 miles. When you get close to a volcano, you start to feel the awesome power. That's a volcano. That's an earth pimple. Think about what kind of power required to speak earth into existence. If we have to take so seriously the tremendous power of a volcano, how much more the holiness of the almighty God? We cannot draw close to him on our own. He's not my homeboy. He's not my BFF. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And incredibly, he has chosen to call me by name that I would be made a son. His holiness. In order to draw close, we have to be made holy. Well, the men of Beth Shemesh learned the hard way. They weren't. And they got touched by the holiness of God. But instead of, instead of heeding what they had heard through their lives, what God had said, they sent his glory away. Can't handle it. If you're here this morning and his holiness offends you, don't send him away. Volcanologists don't go, oh, that volcano's too hot, sorry. They put on special attire so that they can draw close. Here's the cool part. How in the world, I've, I've shared this with Cam, I've actually had the thought, when I die, or when I don't, when I stand before God, I've thought, I've felt, am I ready? Am I ready? The being who spoke the universe into existence, we can't even fathom the universe, and all he did was speak it, and I'm gonna stand before him and see him like I see you? Woe is me, I'm undone, I can't. How am I gonna do that? You, an unholy person, cannot come close to, draw near to a holy God. You'll be gone, as the men of Beth Shemesh realized. And that's why Jesus is important. If you wanna draw close to God, you gotta, you gotta have Jesus. Jesus clothes you with his holiness so you can enter the presence of the terrifyingly awesome, unfathomable, overwhelming holiness of God and not be undone. This isn't even in my notes, but the holiness of God has been on my mind ever since we were here, ever since Rick took us through archaeology. Archaeology, understanding the ark. It wasn't about a box. It was about the glory of God. So what did the men of Beth Shemesh do? They look for a go-between. They look for a mediator because unholy people cannot connect with God's holiness. And that's when Samuel re-enters the story in 1 Samuel. However, and this is the point, what made Samuel, who is a, an Israelite just like the rest of his countrymen, what made him unique from the rest of his people? As a little boy, he heard God. This man was different because he heard God. He didn't say profound things because Samuel intrinsically had this knowledge. He had this knowledge from the living God who spoke to him, who spoke to him. I haven't said this in a while, but I remember having a friend in, in the refinery. Forgive me if you've heard this story. My friend Vlad, Vladimir Chepchenkov. I don't know if he'll ever watch this, but I remember um, 
working at the refinery and we'd have conversations and I found out, um, you know, he's Orthodox. He was raised Orthodox. We had these conversations about the Bible, about Jesus. And there were times where we <laughs> kind of got heated because I bumped up against his traditions that he was raised with. And I'm like, but that's not what the Bible says. Anyway, there were a, a series of things I won't get into where <laughs> the supervisor would come and say, hey guys, look, we got a big job. We need all of you guys on, on deck. We're gonna be working seven days a week for the next month. And I prayed <laughs> and I would go to the supervisor and go, boss, you know, whatever you want, I'll do it. If there's any way, could you just give me one day so I could be at church with my wife? We just got married. And I would get the day off. And then my coworkers started to see it and they're like, what's going on with this guy? And they asked me like, how'd you get off? I'm like, I asked him. So they go ask the boss. He's like, what are you talking about? You can't take work off. You gotta be here. Yeah, but Jake, look, forget about Jake. They were dumbfounded and they asked me like, how come you get that off and we don't? I'm like, do you really wanna know the truth? Yeah. I asked God, and then I went and talked to the supervisor. And they kind of blew it off, they mocked me for a little bit, but Vladimir would have these conversations with me and then he would go home to his wife and tell her. <laughs> and he came to work one day and he had this great laugh. He's like, oh, Jake, you won't forget, you won't believe what my wife told me. I'm like, oh, tell me. He's like, she said, you're a man of God and if I don't take care of you, there's gonna be a curse on me. I was like, wow. <laughs> They noticed something different, and it's not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. It was like fleshed out in front of them. What made Samuel different? He heard God. He heard God. He listened to God. I'm stressing this because hearing God is oftentimes either blown over, brushed off, or completely denied, or far be it, even rejected outright. Jesus didn't and doesn't call the learned, the wise, the professional, and the priestly. 1 Corinthians 2.6, for consider your calling, calling, hearing and calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the, of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I was a greenhorn. I was fresh meat on that crew. I was new to the crew. I didn't work there more than 13 months. I was working with guys who were way more practiced, way more versed, way more seniority than me. And I was getting favor left and right and they couldn't figure it out. I'm like, have you? I remember asking someone, like, maybe you should consider praying and asking God. Maybe you should talk with him. Some of them took me up on it. Look at verse four with me. Go back to Hebrews three. Hebrews three, verse four. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, notice that, don't, don't miss that. He didn't say, therefore, just as Jesus said. 
Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Jesus is on par with the Holy Spirit and vice versa. The Holy Spirit is important. If he's not, then Jesus wouldn't have sent him. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Something that also stood out to me. Why did the first generation out of Egypt never enter the promise? They failed to receive God's rest because they wouldn't listen. How many of them had the Bible? Verse seven says, just as the Holy Spirit says, this is so incredibly important. I wanna ask a question for us all to consider. Is your heart hard of hearing? It is, it gets easier and easier for me as I get older and I spend time in his word and I walk with him and I get experience and, and I do grow in his wisdom and knowledge. It gets easier and easier to lean to my own understanding. Why? Because when you're a child, you know that you don't have it. You're naturally dependent. And we start to, as we get older, we get more learned, we get more experienced, we grow in wisdom. Without even knowing it, without even realizing it, our hearts can get hard to hearing his spirit speak to ours because we lean to what we know. That was the problem with the Pharisees, folks. They leaned to what they understood from the scriptures as they understood it. And so they failed to receive what Jesus said. What was the secret to Moses' faithfulness? He could hear God's voice. And when he heard, he submitted to God's call. He didn't ignore it, he didn't dismiss it, and he didn't defy it. He struggled with it. If you read Exodus 3, he's like, but what about this God? But what about this God? But what about this God? And God finally says, enough. Go and do what I said. And he did. And what was the reason they died without ever receiving God's promise? They would not hear. It's not that they could not hear. They would not hear. They refused. They heard his voice on Mount Sinai and they couldn't bear it. They couldn't tolerate God's voice. They were terrified, for sure, but I think they were terrified because they didn't understand his heart. I don't see Moses freaking out. Why? There's a difference in the hearts at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses knew all too well the holiness of God. But when God showed up, Moses even said, don't be afraid, he's come to test you. He's doing this for your sake because he's a good father that loves you. So they were too afraid and they asked Moses to mediate. Exodus 23, 18 through 19. They asked Moses, please, please don't let us hear him anymore. We wanna hear you. If your faith, if my faith, if our spiritual growth in life is dependent on a pulpit, a pastor, or a person, other than God, man, it's second rate at best. 
Do you hear his voice? The most central passage to Jewish life, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, hear, listen. In the time between Moses and Jesus, Israel grew dull in hearing. Their hearing got worse over time. You think it'd get better. They had more scripture to lean on, but their listening got worse. Turn over with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and we'll pick up at verse 10. I think that's why I confused Romans. Matthew 13, verse 10. So at this point, Jesus has been teaching in parables, right? Matthew 13, verse 10. We'll read through verse 17. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I have even written in my Bible here, faith is key. He goes on and says, therefore I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many, this, listen to this last part, Many prophets and righteous men desired, they longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's quoting out of Isaiah 6, verse 9 through 10. Here's something that grieves me when I read this passage and I think of the church today. The prophets and righteous men of old longed for the day of Jesus and they longed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They longed for the baptism of the Spirit. They longed to hear the Spirit of the living God speak to them. Yet so many of us in the church today spurn it. We question it with doubt. We deny it. We dismiss it. Look at the prophets and the righteous men of old. They didn't. I don't know where you're at on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it says it in the scriptures. So if you espouse to be a Christian who loves his word, take his word for it. Don't filter his word through a person other than the person of Jesus, other than the Holy Spirit. It does not matter what I say here this morning if it doesn't match this. Well-known Bible teachers and scholars teach against the very thing that came out of Jesus's own mouth and they're leading others astray in this unbelief. What does Jesus say in the very next verse, verse 18? Hear then the parable of the sower. He didn't say, get in circles and read the scripture. He didn't say, get into small groups and discuss this and theologize it. He said, hear, listen. 
I'm not saying we should all hear God's audible voice either. So don't, don't get me wrong there. I'm also not saying you can't. I think people do. However, I am saying that any of us who have been born again should be able, and more so as the time goes by, to hear God's spirit speaking to our spirit, literally combining spiritual with spiritual, 1 Corinthians 2.13. How many of us in this fellowship right now dismiss the gifts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus say when they blasphemed him? All those who blaspheme the Son will be forgiven, but those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not. And we don't take the Holy Spirit seriously. Food for thought. It's convicting to me, that's for sure. And going back to Romans 10, 17, how do people come to faith in Jesus? By hearing the word of Christ. Yeah, but that's because it was in the scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament back then. What were they going off of? The Old Testament. Where did they get that? People heard God. Can you hear God? That is so crucial. We, through tradition, spiritual, or church tradition and religious upbringing, we do not connect the fact that Jesus refers to God as Father more than any other way. Children, we, we had family over yesterday, and I've got a little nephew who's not even two yet, and he thinks I'm funny and fun, and you know, I tickle him, but if I call his name, he doesn't listen. He doesn't pay attention to me. He doesn't turn. Why? Because I'm not his dad. I was observing this yesterday, okay? Um, Brian and Molly have five kids. We have two. There's Dave and Patty. Katie was with us. We were in the living room. There's lots of noise, especially when you've got seven kids all in, in this small space. And I'm watching, and, I'm, and I observe Ethan. He's not great at it but he knows the difference between his dad and mom's voice and everybody else's. Why does Jesus constantly call God the Father? Well, for one, because God is, and secondly, it's for our good. If he's Father, what does that make us, children? What do children have to be able to do in order to grow up? They gotta be able to listen to their mom and dad because their mom and dad are teaching them things to grow them up, to build them. This, what, I'm, what I'm speaking today is so fundamental, so child level, and yet it's missed so much. And I wear that. There have been more times, guys, than I care to recount where I'm either getting ready to teach on a Tuesday or I'm standing like I am today in place for Rick and I've got, I, I make the mistake of, I've got to find a passage and get in there and I gotta, without knowing it, I'm thinking, I gotta present something good that everybody's gonna like. You're way off the mark, Jake. I hope you get something out of this because for whatever reason, in, in God's infinite wisdom, he chose to put me here. But if my goal today, this morning, is just to be able to make a really good speech and present something that is intellectually tantalizing to you and it falls flat on your spirit, it's a waste. We might as well just get up and leave. Are we hearing God's word or are we just accumulating information up here? 
again, I hear my dad's voice. Jake, if you know it so well, why aren't you doing it? So, <laughs> if we make the foolish mistake of believing and convincing ourselves that the only way to hear God is through his word, this is the only way, then why did he give us his spirit? Why did Jesus say the helper will come and help you, guide you in all truth? If this is all I need. Revelation 2, 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 29. Revelation 3, verse 6, verse 13, verse 22. All say to the church, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so many dismiss this very absolute and obvious doctrine. You can't hear God. Oh, you're Pentecostal. No. I mean, if that's the case, so is Peter. Because they got baptized in the Spirit and did things by the power of the Spirit on Pentecost. If you're a Christian, you're a Pentecostal. Some of that might make you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. It may, it's made me uncomfortable. But I can't deny what my master and commander has told me. Will I listen to it, though? Will I heed his voice? Hebrews 3, verse 12, and we're gonna be done with Hebrews here in just a second. You guys are doing a great job hanging with me. Hebrews 3, verse 12. <whistles> Gotta wrap it up. He goes on and says in Hebrews 3, 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Is there unbelief in your listening? If you're here this morning and you're tired and you want rest, you have to hear God. It cannot simply be relegated to a Bible study where we discuss what does it mean to hear God. At some point, it has to become effectual and actual and applicable. I have to hear God. This last week was a hard one for me, and I was struggling in hearing God because I'm like, God, Sunday's coming, and I still haven't had time because all this other stuff happened. And I, I, I wrestled through this. Remember what Samuel told Saul? Before you go to battle with the Philistines, wait, and I will come. And he says, on what day? By this time, I'll come and I'll offer up a sacrifice, pray for you, and then you can go. Then you can fight. And Saul heard the Philistines coming, and they were around the corner. I hear the train is coming. It's coming around the bend. And he finally loses it. And instead of waiting upon the Lord, he takes matters into his own hands. 
It was so hard for me this week not to do that. And I pray by the mercies of God, I haven't done it while I teach you this. But for one thing, it sounds simple, but he is really emphasizing to me the necessity to hear him, to listen to him. Not just study about him, but to know him. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. That's by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.20, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. And for sake of time, you don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna go to John 12, verse 27. John 12, verse 27. Now my soul, he says, has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And then Jesus prays. He's praying to the Father in front of them, and he says, Father, glorify your name. Immediately, a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people stood by and heard, and heard it were, saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Jesus prays, Father, and they go, did you hear that thunder? Jesus says, Father, and they go, did you hear that angel? Jesus said, Father, where's the disconnect in the hearing? He said, Father, why are they attributing it to someone or something else other than who Jesus was talking to. Going back to this third question of discipleship, who makes disciples? If we connect Romans 10, what it says about hearing, with what Hebrews 3 says about calling, the key to making disciples, the key to who makes disciples is those who listen to God personally. Those who hear God. Do you hear him? Do you listen to him? How's your hearing? John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How do you hear from the Father? How do you hear from Jesus, the Holy Spirit? It's high time more of us, myself included, Start getting comfortable with the uncomfortable supernatural of the Holy Spirit and just take him as he is. I don't get it. That doesn't fit my theology. Okay, make it. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have to fit my theology. I gotta fit his. I gotta fit to his. I gotta align to his will. I gotta abide in him. I'm not the vine. He is. I'm just a branch. So lastly, apprentices of Jesus attentively hear his voice and follow. Couple questions. Do you hear his spirit? And if so, what's the last thing he spoke to your heart? If you have questions like, well, how can I know if I'm hearing, how can I know if what I'm hearing in my heart is from God or not? I'm just gonna read you three passages. I'm not gonna read the verse. How can you know if what you're hearing is from God? 1 John 4, 1, Acts 17, 10, it's right there. And John 5, 39. Because I will also say, if you're not reading his word to know Jesus 
and hear his heart, you're not listening. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Jesus doesn't care how much I've memorized of his word if I'm not doing it. If you wanna know, how do I read the Bible? Read the Bible to see Jesus. How do I read the Bible? Read the Bible to hear his heart. This isn't a religious text. This is a personal letter from the living God that we might know his heart. His word was given that we might know him personally. So please, with me, let's continue to press in, read his word, and listen to his heart so that we have the ears of an apprentice. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for everyone's patience here. But more than that, I thank you for your patience with us. I am hard of hearing. My hearing is not perfect, and I wanna be able to hear you better. I don't wanna just read your word and know facts. I wanna know you. I need to know you. And part of knowing you is being able to identify, attune my, the ears of my heart to your spirit. And Lord, if you desire that one day I hear you audibly, I am open to that. Jesus, I believe Help my unbelief. Lord, soften our hearts that we, so that we can hear your voice clearly and believe in what you are saying to us, Jesus. We thank you for this word, and, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would sow this into our hearts and that it would affect our lives. In your name, amen. Mm-hmm.